0: Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies, and more. I'm your host, Max Bowen. Singer-songwriter Danny Horovitz is back, and he has some big news to share. His debut album, Free Times, is now available. Danny and I talk about the response the album has seen from fans and music journalists. He shares his poetry and how it ties into his music, as well as the real-life connection behind the songs. Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back. It's so good to have you here joining us once again for another wonderful episode. You know, this one is really cool because my next guest, he was on the show back in the fall for his two debut single releases. And now he's got a whole album out. Danny Ahorovitz joins me. Danny, welcome back, dude. It's
1: so cool to have you here. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, I was really excited to come and chat with you then in the fall. And I was really looking forward to putting out this album so we could chat again.
0: Absolutely. So the name of the album is uh, Free Times. It was released back on April 8th on all streaming services. This one has been a long time coming. You've been uh, working on this one for the past uh, year or so. Certainly, certainly a labor of love. But um, I'm actually curious about the time spent on this Um, an entire year on the album.
1: Uh, what were you doing during that time? Well, let's go back all the way because this is my first album, as you pointed out. So it's really, in some ways, a greatest hits album, even though it's new to almost everybody on the planet. It's I just have written dozens and dozens and dozens of songs over the years, and we picked 10 that we thought would go good together. I had uh, a few people say to me, one of the things I really liked about the album was the flow from start to finish, which is unique because most people don't listen to an album from start to finish. And I think that is the luxury that I have by starting basically with however many songs that I have written, however good they might be, I can actually pick the ones that thematically go together. And it's something that I don't know that I will always do by intention, but this time I certainly did. And so you took take all the years of having written music. I put some demos together. In the fall, uh, sorry, in the summer of 2020, and I did that just for myself. It was the pandemic. I wanted to hear what it would sound like, a better version of the songs I was playing to myself. In front of a friend uh, shows up uh, one day in, in in the park, and we start talking. And he says, "Send me your drafts. I'd love to hear them." You know, he it turns out he's an EDM producer, an electronic dance music producer, and he hears them and he thinks these are these are good. Um, I'm not your guy for this, but I know someone who's a producer. And I've sent him your songs and he'd love to work with you if you're willing. I said, yeah, of course. I hadn't thought that far ahead. So that was in the fall of 2020. We started recording it in that winter and over into early 2021. we wrapped everything up by, let's say April. Now to give your listeners a bit of a, of a timeline. I don't go into a studio for four weeks and just close myself off and do it all. We do it in stages. We'll do bass and drums together. Let's uh, say that, that takes a couple of days. And then we'll do all the instrumentation that's not bass and drums. So guitars and pianos and mandolins and accordions, percussion, you know, egg shaker and that kind of thing. That takes another bunch of days. And then I'll do vocal stuff, probably one night per song of vocals. So I don't blow my voice. We don't do the night sequentially. All through the way, we're doing kind of rough mixes. I make notes about what I like or don't like. And then my producer, who's also my mixer will do final mixes and I'll make some final comments on that and then it'll go to be mastered. So that's why it takes so long. In the meantime, I spent a lot of my time listening to the songs. I spent a lot of my time playing the songs to my own ear, to especially in leading up to how I want the vocal performances to sound. In the studio, you'd be surprised how the vocal performance that I think I'm, I wanna give, my producer hears and he gets something else entirely out of me. That's one of the great joys of being in the studio. So now I'm ranting and raving as I as I give you the, the full timeline, which is all to say that what I've been doing with that, with my time was slowly building it up while living my life. Since then, getting very excited. Um, and ever since the first single came out in October, it's been like a second full-time job where I am promoting it on social media. I'm submitting it to playlists. If I'm lucky, I can do podcasts and speak with great people like you and uh, hoping beyond hope that people will listen to it um, and listen to the music and find something that they like. And sometimes they do, and it's it's very meaningful when people listen to it and reach out to me and tell me that they like it.
0: And I think that there is a lot to like with this album. So the first two songs on it, Seasons Change and Moving On, we talked about that last time you were on the show, but there's many, many other tracks. But as you mentioned, you have written dozens of songs, and this is only a 10-track album. How did you yeah. pick the ones to include?
1: Well, um, I put together a suite, a basket of the songs that I thought were maybe my best songs and a couple of weird songs that maybe weren't my best songs. but People have told me over the years that they liked. And Kevin, who was the friend of a friend I mentioned, um, he <laughs> good for him. And thank goodness for him. He listened to all of them. And he said, here are my 10 favorites and included in there were some of the weirder songs that I didn't expect. And were left off with some of the songs that I really wanted to record. Now, that was strange to me. I only insisted on swapping in one song, free tonight, because that is one of my favorite songs that I've written. And it's the one that I would play most often to myself or for friends. And it would just, it would just be a shame if I never did this again at the time, not to have that song recorded. So that's how we picked it, largely through hymns, as fresh eyes, fresh ears coming in and deciding. But it also taught me something but I shouldn't be so quick to leave off songs just because I write them and I don't play them as much. Sometimes the songs that I think are great, maybe other people don't. So now I'm back in the studio on a different cycle. Last summer, I I recorded a bunch of home demos and I still have a whole back catalog. I sent different songs to Calvin, my producer. And some of those were the songs that I wanted. Uh, Some of the songs were ones that he wanted that I I wouldn't have guessed. And there are still some songs from the first suite that I, that I haven't yet submitted that I, I will in the future and ones that I'm still writing. So to choose the songs like the entire process is collaborative. And I do think that everyone would say, I get the final say, and that is true, but I try not to treat it like that way because then I might be missing out on the opportunity to, um, to, to put the best version of my work out there. I, Cause I'm in my own way too close to the material.
0: Agreed. Yeah. And I, and I think if you're working with a, uh, with a producer, it's important to take their feedback because they may say, "You know, oh, I think you know song X should be in there." You may think, "Nah, that's not really any good," but then you look into it later and think, "Oh, they were actually right. It actually fits in well with the whole album." So it's about that perspective.
1: Yeah. Well, we talked last time, I think, about how "Moving On" had one version of it when I played it to myself, and then when we got to the studio, we, he, you know, Calvin had so much input on that it it changed it in many ways, and that's true. And that was a song that I liked. On the the album, the whole album, there's a song called Temple in the Sky, which I didn't really ever like. I wrote it when I was younger, trying to emulate Leonard Cohen. I thought it was strange, a strange story. It's not written in the first person like a lot of my songs are. Um, And yet my eldest brother really liked it. And so I included it on the suite of uh, songs. I made the decision to go up, not keep it in that low Leonard Cohen register, go up a bit. But then Calvin, or sorry, Kevin heard it. He really liked it. And when Calvin heard it, he said, "Let's just make it a little faster, and we'll do this thing where we'll layer up different sounds, so that as the story gets darker, musically it becomes darker." And now it's this really great song. And I have to say, I, I'm completely convinced that it was the right decision.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, tell me about Kevin. And I think we talked about this last time, but Kevin and his role in the uh, in the album.
1: So Kevin O'Brien did not have too much of a role in the album, but he's this great guy with a great ear. He's a friend of a friend and I trusted his ear and I trusted his instinct. I'm really grateful that he uh, believed in me. And he, you know, he, he did uh, very early on on a couple of songs, just some rough mixes to give me an idea of what it could sound like when someone can take different instrumentation and mix them properly. That was a revelation to me. And that kind of built me, uh, built in my head the idea or planted a seed the idea that if I got into the studio and I got real professional musicians, and professional mixing done with real effort because he did it for free pretty quickly. Then it could really become something, and he encouraged me. So, so the role that he played is uh, was pretty instrumental. But once he handed me off to to Calvin, um, he, he you know he 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 left the, the picture.
0: Going back to what we discussed earlier with uh, seasons change and moving on, those both had the strong theme of basically moving forward. You know, kind of, kind of like, uh, moving forward from a really like tough time in your life. How does the rest of the album kind of like build on that?
1: That's a good question. I, I wonder because meaning and music is more about the listener than it is about me. And because I've rearranged things, I wonder if it might mean, if there might be a story arc to other people than to, than to myself, I kind of think of the album as two different story arcs. Uh, the first seven tracks and the last three tracks and the first seven tracks is more about love and loss and life and thinking about about who you are and the people that you keep in it or don't keep in it or what you do in response to the people who come and go. Seasons Change, and moving on, uh, echo that. You know, Seasons Change is very much a song about uh, caring for somebody even though you know it's not gonna work out, but you hope that they stay who they are. And moving on is finding that sense of feeling like yourself again. The Scar, which is the third song, is, is a story told from the perspective of a person who thought that they loved someone from afar, but when they got up close, they realized that it wasn't for them. It's almost like that, that thing from Gulliver's Travels, you know, where he sees the Lilliputians and they're so small and perfect, and then he goes to the land of the giants. The giants are so so ugly and full of blemishes, and he realizes that it's because, to the to his eye, everything that's far away seems beautiful and anything that's up close is is ugly. And there's something really true and 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 compelling about that story. Free tonight is just an unabashedly romantic song that that really boils down to this idea that it's better to find someone who's great for you than chase all the world. And then we kind of get a little bit more into um, uh, in- introspective ideas. So this side of the looking glass, which, you know, the, the this side of the looking glass, the title of which is an allusion to Alice in Wonderland, is really about the importance of self-care. You have to like yourself and you have to be okay with yourself. And that means putting people in your life who are okay with you and who like you before you'll be be in a position to find a romantic partner who will care enough about you that you can grow together. Um, in in a similar way, um, care for you thinks about relationships as um, as a stage. There's a lot of Shakespeare elements in there. If all you care about is a spotlight. If you care about, you know, your 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 Instagram profile, if you care about how you look and how people see you, then all you're going to get is the spot. You know, that reference to Macbeth, out damn spot. Your guilty conscience. You're never really going to be happy. But if you're if if you can find someone who who will help you through everything, um, and if you can be that person for, for your partner, then I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, and then Be My Baby Tonight romanticizes the idea of a one-night stand, and it romanticizes it in a way that says, you know, similar to Seasons Change, kind of the, the bookend there, it's okay that things don't last. It's okay that relationships don't last. They're meaningful when you've got them, and so that's this one sort of story about, about love and loss and life and who you are in relation to other people. The final three songs on the album, um, Nothing Ever Ends, Temple in the Sky and Passing Through, now we're getting very existential. The message of those three songs told through the the, the arc of, of, uh, let's call it sarcasm and then horror and then a lullaby is don't let your ego get in the way of anything. Think about the people who you care about, let them know that, make every moment count. because there only really ever is this one moment. And from this moment into the past stretches the these echoes we call memory, and out ahead of us are these endless possibilities we call the future, but there only really ever is this moment. And it's the people who are in that moment that really matters. So nothing ever ends. If you think you know, uh, that you're like Ozymandias, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings, look on you mighty in despair. Eventually, that statue crumbles. If you're familiar with that poem, all the, you know, all, all, all the, uh, not, all, all glory is fleeting. Let's put it that way. Temple in the sky is, um, is a metaphor of moving from innocence to experience and realizing that the world is not, as, is not as magical as you as you think it is. That there's darkness in the world, and it's important to understand that. And then finally, ending on a sweeter note, um, passing through is just a gentle reminder that what really matters is sharing uh, things with the people you love. So that at a high level to me is what these two story arcs have starting with seasons changing, moving on, but that's just what it means to me. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the album means. You as the listener are bring the real meaning. And I, I want people to listen to it, to any of the songs or all of it in its entirety and, and really think about it. I, I would love to think in my heart, and I know I'm, going off here that this is the kind of album it's only 31 minutes long you can listen to with a a glass of beer or a glass of wine or a joint and just like listen and contemplate while you listen you know
0: Mm -hmm. do you have to listen to it in that order for the story to really line up
1: i don't think so i don't think you have to listen to it in any order i'm just giving you uh some explanations of the order that we chose and maybe i overthought it um In some ways, we didn't overthink it because um, Calvin, my producer, he suggested having Seasons Change first. I was going to put Moving On first because there's a count in. Calvin said, but he really liked that bend at the beginning of Seasons Change to open the album. So little things like that, you know, were part of the calculation as well. I think if you hit shuffle and uh, you like my style, you'll like it no matter what. Um, uh, order it's in. Billy Joel once said in an interview, "It's all well and good to have a message, but if the song isn't good, I'm not paying attention anyway." And that's how I approach songwriting. I want to entertain myself. I want them to be enjoyable. Ideally, it doesn't matter what order they're in. you just they're, they're songs you like. I'm hoping they're songs you like. They're songs that I like. So the short answer is no. The longer answer is you asked me a very thoughtful question about the story arcs, and I wanted to give you my full answer and hope it didn't come across as too pretentious.
0: Not at all, actually. And, and and that's what I like, is that is that each song has a really powerful story behind it. Clearly, a lot of thought went into this.
1: Given all that, how does it feel to have it done? Amazing. Better than I would have thought. I had this fear that once I would record them, I would say, well, I'm done with that. Never need to play them again. And I say that because sometimes I write these personal songs. And then once I've finished them and I play them, I'm like, well that's that. I don't, I've exercised this part of my soul and then I don't enjoy playing them anymore. And I've, I've lost so many songs that way. And that's part of the reason why I like telling stories. And I usually don't write personal songs. And I was a little worried that if once I got out of my gut, the songs at their best that I'd like, well, I don't need to do that anymore, but it's not the case. If anything, I'm more interested in playing them, more interested in exploring them. And the way that we've recorded some of the songs have influenced how I now perform the song so this side of the looking glass I wrote on the piano is a very uh, mellow song and you can hear some of that mellow at the beginning of the song but then as it builds up and it gets warmer and more like a band song it becomes faster well when I play it I play it on the guitar now instead of the piano and I and I bring that energy right from the start so the short answer is no if anything I feel it's like one more tool in my tool belt
0: and all these songs you're definitely down to play them again if you ever got the chance to play live
1: yeah, well, I'm looking at uh, setting up a concert in Toronto. And, and my plan is to, if not play every song from this album, either play, uh, perhaps play most of them, as well as a collection of songs that I'm currently recording. or thinking about adding into like the suite of songs for the third album, which will be a couple of years down the road. And it'll basically be me with an acoustic guitar. So I have to rethink how I'm going to perform them. I have to unattach myself to the idea that now these songs, which have been recorded in studios with professional musicians that I'm so proud of, I have to get used to the idea that I can't replicate that on stage, at least right now with my current setup, with my current budget, it's just going to be me with an acoustic guitar. So how do I, how do I give the audience the best version of those songs that I can? And I'm excited for that. But yeah, I I have no problem playing any of them. I'm proud of them. I love them. I I like the stories I've written. Um, You know, I love great stories and great lyrics. Uh, A lot of the Beatles or Leonard Cohen or Paul Simon or Cat Stevens. These are guys are in my, are in my, my my mind and my ear all the time. And, uh, and I'm not saying I ever reach those heights, but, but I, I aspire and, and because I aspire, so I enjoy the results. So do I,
0: so do I, I, I especially loved the scar. I thought the flow of it was so soul reaching because it gets right through to you. You know, the, the melody, the words, it it just kind of cuts right into you really, really deeply. um, interesting juxtaposition though is the music video that you released for it definitely and, and this is from my perspective it seems like an odd fit you have this you that you have this couple dancing very like enthusiastically but the song itself is a little more of a more of a, a mellow tune
1: how do these two go together well, let me start by talking a bit about that tune because i also love it and it's with a rare case where i wrote a poem that then cried out for a melody and i found a melody instead of working on them together or coming up with a melody and most of the way I write songs is I, I sit on the guitar and I write something and it gets stuck in my head and I write stuff down. And if it's still in my head the next day and I can think of the melody, then I know it's good and I'll finish the song at some point. Sometimes the songs happen, you know, right away. In the scars case, I uh, I wrote this poem kind of because I have this scar on my, on my forehead and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I came up with this great story that I thought was a cool story, this cool idea, like I was telling you about being infatuated with someone from afar and then realizing when you get up close that they're not you can't live with them. And I thought, boy, you know, I don't have anything in my mind, my history, but I can relate to that on both sides. And I think a lot of people can too. And (laughs) there's a website called Fiverr where you can pay people to do things for you. And because I'm an independent artist and I just want people to go to my YouTube page, I started going on Fiverr to get lyric videos. Now, as it turns out, no one's on my YouTube page. And what I didn't realize at the time, although I know now, is that there's a whole separate YouTube music set up the distro kid had already sent my music out to youtube so i was almost cannibalizing my own views by having by having the lyric videos out i don't i don't mind most of the streams come on spotify and apple music anyway but i thought it would be cool to have like dancers dance romantically and tragically to my music and so i hired someone from fiverr and it came back like three days later and i was like man this is so quick this is so great what's good? And I take a look at the video and what I realized is they must have used stock footage, even though I specified to them, uh, I don't want stock footage. Is it going to be original? They assured me, no, it's going to be original. But, you know, looking back, I think I paid a few hundred dollars for it. You know, looking back, you're not going to get that kind of quality in three days. So they must have used stock footage. It's a little bit at odds with the nature of the song. But having watched it a bunch of times, I also... Don't mind. Weirdly, in a weird, almost uh, uh, dark side of Oz kind of way, the movements match up to the tempo. And so uh, if it's all the same and people just need some movement while they listen to music and they're not content to listen to it only on Spotify or Apple Music, um, I'm happy with the end results. And, I, and I've and i gone back to Fiverr, just not that particular person.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Looking at the collection of music, do you happen to have a particular favorite?
1: On this album, I think it's "Free Tonight." And as hard as I push, I don't know if it's anyone's favorite, but for me, it's the one I like to play. I, I love the way Sean added that piano in the middle of it. It 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 brings joy to my heart. Uh, I wrote it at a time when I was younger and and full of, of of emotions I didn't really quite understand. And the words still resonate to me. They're a lot simpler than my other stories in some respect. It came. It was inspired by this weird dream that I had, and I was just proud of myself for like painting that that picture. And I just love playing it. To me, it's just a fun, great song. Um, I got, you know, you submit it to some playlists and you make it to some playlists and you always get comments when you don't get submitted. And some, and some of them uh, said, you know, not mainstream enough and because there's, like, there's no hooks. And then other ones were like this, this too mainstream the melody and like, I don't know what to do with any of this content, but I love it. So that's, that's my favorite. Coming up on the next set of songs, which we've just finished recording. Um, I had another song that I loved playing to myself called love you to the end and it's going to be on the next set of songs but i have to say that when we got into the studio there are so many songs now that i didn't realize i loved so much like um you mentioned the scar and i'll play the scar but now when i listen to it i kind of like stop everything and i there's there's little things in there that i really like really like the musical bridge i like the way calvin mixed in the the echoes and that inspired me to have a little more echoes in the next set of songs. We added harmonica and whistling to some songs uh, in the next uh, set. I, I hired a, a strings guy and a saxophonist and uh, it's all gonna sound so great. And so little bits and pieces still stick out to me, uh, which is sort of a cop-out because now I'm saying I like everything. It's it's true because they're mine. Uh, but the short answer is if I had to pick one for you tonight. I
0: like that. All right. Um, So we've talked a lot about the personal messages in these songs. You know, they obviously come from the heart, but I'm curious, is there a lot of like real life experience?
1: Not a lot. Moving on is the one that really has, um, based on a personal experience, but then I made it arm's length. I I try to make it arm's length because what I'm really want to do is tell stories. When I hear the songs that I love, I don't think of them as, the, as confessionals, even though Leonard Cohen songs might have been, it's just not the way that I, I hear them. Um, and uh, so yeah, hopefully that answers that question. What I, what I, what I will say though, is that um, sometimes the songs come from a place of, uh, of truth. So, uh, Be My Baby Tonight, I wrote when I was in law school and I was in a relationship at that point. And it was a relationship that would have to end because we were from two different parts of the country. And so the song, the story that I came up with was one kind of, like I said, romanticizing a one night stand but it's based on this emotion knowing that it ends but that doesn't mean it's any less meaningful if that, if that kind of answers the, the question. So yes and no. And like you know, like I said, if I, uh, if I did write songs that were too personal I might not be interested in playing them later. Yeah, I've heard that
0: a lot. Where, we're like, where like some artists will do will do a song, maybe dedicated to someone they lost or to a particularly really, really rough breakup, and they say I can never play it again. I did it once for the recording, never again because it just hurts too much. It brings back too much. Then I'm curious about where the stories come from. You did mention a couple having like a literary connection, but where did yeah. the rest come from?
1: I don't know. Like Homer says, "Oh muse, breathe into me and tell me of Iliad." Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, you 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 play a chord. It strikes something in you, and uh, it, it reminds me of something, or it brings to mind a feeling. Well, now, what are the words that I can? Now I'm like, you're a smart guy, Danny. Use your words, word it out. And so I do. And from there, you sketch the outlines of a story, or even just just the outlines of a of, of a moment. You know, free tonight is really just like a single moment. You know, temple in the sky is a whole story. Um, uh, or, or, you know, I'm passing through. I think I had one of the verses that I liked. And I was like, "Okay, well, like this is a cool little expression. Are there counter expressions that I can have that get to the same point across? Other different, different metaphors, different ideas, and it just kind of comes together. You know, sometimes you just you you see a block of marble and you see something in it, and you hope you can you can chisel it, chisel it out. It's a it's a really good question, but it's a it's a it's a tough one to answer because. It's hard to know where where anything comes from. I don't even know where the words I'm saying to you right now come from. They're just sort of coming out too.
0: (laughs) It's very honest. I like that. Talking about the chiseling process, do you ever have times where you'll be working on a song and for for whatever reason it just gets tossed? Like, this isn't working. I can't make it flow?
1: All All the time. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, man. Like, most of the stuff you work on doesn't work. Most of the stuff I work on, even if I'm humming to myself something that I like, I can't connect it. I can't find the emotion. I just I just drop it. What's nice is the chord progressions will come back. I'm not worried that they're not going to come back if it was something that really mattered. You know, if it's something important, you'll remember it. And even if you're not, even if you don't, there's only so many chord progressions. Eventually, you're going to come back to it, maybe in a different time signature, maybe when you're in a different headspace, maybe it's in a different um key or something. I, I don't I don't worry about that. I also have a, a section of notes on my phone where it's just poems that I've written. So if if I'm playing on the guitar, I can go back through them and see if any of those words catch and and sometimes they do um sometimes i push through it i've written a song recently where i had this idea of making a a story where you've got uh, roses and roads the building of the relationship the building of a garden bed and the paving of the road to get out of dodge can i make that work and i don't know if i succeeded but i finished the song and as wacky as it is i actually like playing it um i had an idea can i write a song with just a single chord and eventually that that idea became care for you and i failed miserably at but it was the, it was the the idea that I that I that I pushed through, and I actually am really proud of the lyrics of that song because it's got some, um, I think, really effective uh, stage metaphors or play reading metaphors. Mm-hmm.
0: I would like to ask about the poems because I didn't know this actually. I didn't know that uh, that you were also a poet too. Um, are
1: the two? Wait, steps- well, can I ask you? Can I ask you, uh, Max? What do you think songs are?
0: Good question good question actually very good point um but are the two separate like are you a, a poet and also a musician or do the two just like cross over a lot
1: first of all i'm sorry for putting you on the spot and asking you a question That's i realize fine. it's not my place
0: totally cool man uh, totally cool
1: i think they're, i think they're one in the same hmm. i mean the, the the acts that i really love like i said bob dylan's and leonard cohen's and, and paul simon's where do you draw that line uh they're, they're one in the same because i don't know that i would read a poem to myself a hundred times but i Without the music, and I wouldn't play the music without singing the lyrics. They go, they go hand, in, they go hand in hand in the modern in the modern era. I think very few people are reading poems that aren't um, without singing a tune, or in the in the case of hip hop, reading it with a certain cadence that is very particular to that is is the equivalent of singing it. Hmm. Have you ever had your poems uh, published? I'm not sure. One time when I was in university, uh, when I was an undergrad, I did literature as my undergrad. And I did a double minor in political science and religious studies. And I did, took religious studies because I took so many religious courses to try to learn what I could to help me write all my English essays. As kind of like a life hack. And spoiler alert, it, I'm sure it still works. So if you're out there and you're a religious studies student, take literature as your, under, as your minor. And, vi, and if you're a literature student, take religious studies as your minor. And the essays will just cross-pollinate. Okay. And uh, because of that, I somehow got myself on the editorial board of, of uh, like a religious uh uh, magazine. I was the Jewish representative and I wrote this poem called the light that man made. And it was all about how, when we started turning on lights and inventing electricity, we lost our sense of wonder in the universe. Now that was a nice little poem. And that was the one time it was published. And I don't know if that counts because technically I was the, I was the publisher. So I, but, <laughs> uh, but I, but I've thought about over the years, wouldn't it be great to publish a book of poems? I think I have a lot to say. I think people would like it. I think I have my own unique. Uh, Way of writing and telling stories, but one, I'm barely big enough to get people to even listen to my music, which is a much more accessible mode, and I'm working on that. And two, would that be the kind of thing that there is an audience for, or would it just be a truly self, you know, aggrandizing act? And if the answer is that it's just for me, I don't know. Maybe put it on a website sometime to give it to people for free. Um, Don't get me wrong; in my heart of hearts, I I would love to have my poems published and have people read them but you know we don't we don't live in an era where that is going on anymore
0: it'd be cool though to release like a book of poetry with your music
1: you know yeah
0: yeah if you know
1: any publishers let me know if you know anybody who's publishing books of poems i'd love to submit
0: hey hey publishers are listening right now this is the guy you want to work with right his poems are amazing his music's amazing you you, what you could do is, is you could do like a limited um, a limited edition release for the albums you could do just maybe like 20 copies or 40 copies of like a book of poems with like a physical cd i think that would go i think it would
2: go i'm,
1: I'm open to all kinds of things to the publishers who are listening whether publishing my lyrics and then stories behind them or uh, other poems i've written or a combination i'm open to anything uh, reach out to me i i do write all the time i love i like my stuff i'm just not so you know, I'm, I'm not so sure of myself that I would think that, well, everybody is going to love to read these poems. Let me go invest in hundreds of uh, p- copies. I, the reason I bring this up is my album art guy really wanted me to print CDs. And he was like, you got to get CDs for everybody, physical stuff. People are listening to CDs. And I thought, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. But in my head, I'm thinking nobody listens to CDs. Nobody really, maybe a small market does. I love vinyl, um, but not enough people are listening to vinyl to make it cost effective to print uh, for someone of my size, so uh, as far as poems go, the short answer is yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. The longer answer is you know one thing at a time.
0: Maybe try this idea. Uh, you, uh, so your Instagram page is very very well received. A lot of folks following this one. Oh, uh, thank you. Post like uh, pictures which are which are just like the poem itself. So like you know you know type it up, screenshot it, post it.
1: I don't really have a retort to that. I I actually kind of like that. It's the <laughs> it's like somebody posting uh, motivational quotes. But they're my own. It's my own stuff. I mean, if there's no money in it anyway, uh, yeah. I may as well put it out there. Let's yeah. see. You
0: no, know, you, oh. you know, you know, utilize it to add a little like diversity to your page. You know, get a. You know, you never know. Yeah. You you might you, you might get emails today from so and so publishers saying, "Hey, we saw your Insta page. We saw your poetry. We want to talk to you about publishing."
1: Maybe I, I actually really like that idea. I took. Uh, I was in. I did business school for a while. And for a while, until I finished it. I didn't need to drop out. And, uh, and one of the things I talk about in marketing is like your core brand. And the further away you move from that brand, the less likely you are to uh, to succeed because the more likely you are to alienate your audience. The, the the clearest example of this is when McDonald's tried pizza. Now, in all cases, <laughs> oh, you'd that's think- a terrible that, idea. But, but in all cases, you'd think of, on paper, it would work. McDonald's is American food, hamburgers, french fries, what else is there? Hot dogs, pizza. It's all this like very America fifties food. But the real brand of McDonald's was getting it to you fast and identical every time. And the problem with the pizza is it can't look the same every time. There's no bun to hide the misplacement of the pepperonis and you got to wait 20 minutes for it. And, and whether or not you liked the pizza, wasn't the point you would have loved the pizza if it came to you in 30 seconds flat. And it was you know, the, the pepperoni was in the same, it's, that was their core brand that they missed out. So you always gotta be a little careful when you try introducing a new element, even if it seems like it, it is part of it. And for now, just uh, getting everyone used to the fact that I'm a singer songwriter is is, uh, is enough of a challenge, but I, but I do love your enthusiasm for my poems. I'm gonna keep it in the back of my mind and don't be surprised if you start uh, seeing some posts from me that uh, reveal some non-music stories that, that I've written or maybe poems that I'm thinking about creating songs for.
0: Well, I think I definitely agree with you about getting too far away from the brand, but I feel like there's also a middle ground where you're getting a little away from what you normally do, but not so far that you're like totally just like off the map. Like for me, for example, of course, my Insta, a lot of my posts are, you know, related to the podcast, but I also post, you know, like I do, I do um a weekly music playlist on Spotify. I also do like a comic spotlight because I'm a huge like comic nerd. So and and there's a connection because I usually talk to these people also for the show. So
1: you're right. It's not like I'm like, "Hey, guess what everybody? I'm I'm a NASCAR driver now."
0: That would be a little that would be a little, a little much. Yeah, that would be a little a little you're bit weird. of a jump.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Also that would that would potentially get you killed. There's all that too.
1: I'll tell you what, I'm happy to send you some of my uh, poems and you can read them. The I
0: look forward time. to reading them, sir. See, look at this. Making deals here, making deals. Uh, I should be like charging for for uh, this advice, <laughs> but let's get back to the album. So, as mentioned earlier, really, um, this was released on April eighth.
1: What's been the response? I think it's been pretty good. Um, I, I I my publicist sent out a press release, and as of this date, it's only like a couple of days later. Um, I haven't yet uh, seen the press coverage, but when my first song came out, it was about two or three weeks after the release. And then it was just like a slew of stuff. And if you're on my Instagram, you'll see, you know, many of those uh, of those articles. So I'm expecting in the next little while to have some nice more articles written. Um, as far as listenership goes, that's been really nice because people have been sending me messages saying, hey, I listened to the whole thing and I really liked it. And uh, that is the most meaningful part. People who I don't know, who have no reason to reach out to me saying something nice like that, the, every time that someone does that you got to think they represent you know 10 or 20 people or more who who just didn't think to to send me a note um so the response has been response has been really wonderful and uh and like i said i'm really proud of it i don't want to overemphasize the response or or press coverage i get because i want to manage my expectations but i'm really proud of it and i think that the people who do hear it really like it yeah it's been it's made on a, its way onto some playlists and uh and and i'm going to keep uh you know, keep keep submitting, and I'm I'm really happy.
0: And you also have some really cool like Canadian uh, music journalists out there. You know, like I remember, I remember we we were talking about this last time. You got connected with a lot of different uh, websites and blogs out there that were either like playing your music, interviewing you, reviewing it. So there's definitely, I think, a pretty vibrant like music journalism yeah. scene up there.
1: Oh, for sure. And I was very fortunate um, in in Edmonton and parts around there in, in Alberta, one of the provinces in Canada. They they liked it. It made radio over there uh it's made the radio uh you know moving on in a couple of their songs have made radio uh made radio i don't know what that means been played on the radio (laughs) in uh, in california and ohio and overseas in europe and uh in australia and and that's been really cool and yeah the press coverage in canada has been cool and we've got a good indie press scene in canada as well because there's only one like large media conglomerate in canada called cbc canadian broadcasting network and they can't uh, or Canadian Broadcasting Corporation I should say and they can't cover everybody all the time it's it's too many people so it's nice that we've got an eclectic mix of, of interested uh, people and and uh, and companies who, who who do take interest in, in someone like myself.
0: That's the opposite here. We have way too many huge media conglomerates so like there are like alternative like indie magazines for example there aren't a ton and I kind of wish we had more of that like indie arts, journalism out there. Cause there just isn't a lot of it.
1: I don't want to overemphasize how much of it there is in Canada. Cause I don't really know only what I see, but it's enough that, uh, brings me joy to see my name pop up every now and again. There've been a couple that have really been kind to me. Um, tinnitus is one that, that wrote a really nice, uh, uh, article on moving on Cashbox Canada is another one and they're affiliated with, uh, um, uh, some other organizations in America and around the world. Um, And I just I think that it's cool that so many people take an interest in indie music, and it might be bloggers um, or might be small, you know, hobby corporations. I don't think these are people with their own mini empires or anything like that. But you know, Canada is a nation of of people who like to to work hard, and they've got a lot of hobbies, and a lot of them with interests start their own uh, blogs or or podcasts or YouTube channels, and we're very fortunate in that in that sense, because we have a lot of talent up here. And because we speak English and because we're so closely connected to America and to England, it's maybe we're more fortunate in in the opportunities to get exposure than than maybe other places in the world. So I'm, I'm really grateful. That doesn't mean that it's happened for me yet. Although, although I got exposure to you, which is, I mean, that's the first important step in any musician's career, as we know, but, um, so it hasn't necessarily happened uh, for me yet that I, that I broke big, but it's nice to know that, you can put your name out there and there are people who will hear it, be interested in it and post online. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, my fingers are crossed that I, I get more, if not uh, more of, if not the same, even, even greater numbers on future releases than I did for moving on because I was very pleased with that. And a big, big shout out to my publicist, Eric Albert.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's definitely worth mentioning too, that actually we connected, you uh, messaged me and said, Hey, I'm a musician. I heard your show. of the key thing too for all the other artists out there is be willing to ask the question don't feel like you're bugging someone or bothering them ask a question the worst they'll say is no
1: that's right the squeaky squeaky wheel gets the grease and you should be tenacious if you can without overdoing it without being super annoying i think you should um and if i didn't ask you know you uh we wouldn't be talking here today i've sent messages many messages i mean my eyes have gone dry and, and I started bleeding as a result of all the, you know, the, the Instagram uh, community that I've been engaged in uh, the last two or so years. And a lot of times I send messages and people don't just don't get back to you. And a lot of times they're, they're kind. And a lot of times like yourself, they're interested and we end up really hitting it off. And I feel like you and I could talk endlessly not just about my music and not just about the industry, but like there are so many topics that we can go off about. I don't know if it's going to make it into the actual end result, but we probably talked 15 minutes about whether or not people would read poetry in the modern world and how and then the logistics about how to make that happen. And like, you know, that's really cool. And uh, just, you know, some kindred spirits sometimes find find each other. That's the great benefit of the era in which we live in. the flip side downside is that it's, it's hard to monetize because there's so much going on.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think the other big, a big challenge is building your audience because these days the plus side is that there's so many different outlets um, out there to get your music onto. The other side yeah. of it was, is that when everyone can do it, it's possible to get buried. So how do you go about building your audience?
1: Boy, isn't that the million dollar question? Uh, I wish there was a template or a roadmap that that someone would give to me because I don't know. I don't really know. About a year before I went into this recording studio, maybe not quite a year, but around the time that I was doing my home demos, I knew that I would need to get people to listen to me. And I knew that Spotify was the biggest one. So I just in broad strokes, like how do I get people to follow me on Spotify? Well, for them to get to follow me on Spotify, they need to know who I am. So I need to be engaged on social media. I don't have all the time in the world, the patience in all the world. I got to pick one social media outlet. Instagram seems to be the one that people at the time were on uh, you know so i was like okay so i spent a lot of time engaging people and i still do messaging people liking their stuff uh posting um just to to keep engaged and, and build build that following on Instagram and a little bit on you know the other social medias as well facebook and and tiktok with the idea that some percentage of them and i set myself a goal of 10% 10% will follow me to spotify And of that 10% that follows me on Spotify, I would like to set a goal of 25% regular listeners. So if I have, for argument's sake, 10,000 Instagram uh, followers, I should have a thousand followers on Spotify, of which a quarter of those, 250, should be listening to my music on a regular basis, monthly. And that is, I think, a modest goal, at least to start out with. I'm Proud to say that I've I've exceeded that in all fronts so maybe I was being a little too modest but that was my that was what was in my head and it still is that you know now I start engaging people on Instagram they follow me and I follow them and then we start talking and I say here's my Spotify you know do you want to give give me a follow do you want to like it sometimes they say yes sometimes they don't get back to I me mean, sometimes they're musicians they reach out to me first sometimes they ask me to follow them we listen to each other's music and and kind of in a way there's like then this communal element where musicians are listening to each other's music other artists who have visual art or listening to my music and I'm looking at their posts and really liking it and commenting on it. And it's a slow burn with, in the grand cosmic scheme of things, very little results. You know, even at 10,000 people on Instagram, there's more than that in, in, the, in the one block around my condo here in Toronto, you know, it's, but but it's growing something. And now, like I said, of those 250, now, I mean, it's more than that I listen monthly, but of those of those people who listen, you know, one percent of them are reaching out to me personally and sending me messages, and like, you know, but I can't put a price on that. It's it's so meaningful. So I don't know if that answered the question, but if there uh, if if there are any people out there who's hearing my story and and they want to give me the free services of managing my career, I <laughs> I don't want to have to do uh, nearly as much of that promotional stuff. Although I want to reap the benefits of people messaging me and saying hi. So very selfish. <laughs>
0: But you know what? It's what you gotta do. It's what you gotta do. Like, you know, audience building, I think, is both easy and hard because it's easy to make the audience. Like like with like Insta, you can just buy yourself followers. It's it's super easy. But it's about having that engagement afterwards. It's about okay, I've got ten thousand followers. Why am I only getting like twenty likes per post? That's insanity. You know, it's it's about having that engagement, about having that, you know, conversation with the fans that will result in like, you know, listen, the downloads and purchases too. That's the end goal obviously is to, you know, get those purchases, get the, get that attendance at your shows. And at some point down the road, make this into your full-time
1: job. Yeah. I have this really weird problem on my Instagram account where the ads don't doesn't work. Like it will never link to my credit card. So I actually can't even buy the, the, the ads to help you grow. So it's literally engaging like one person at a time and talking to them. And then I read somewhere on the internet, I don't know if this is true, that like if your engagement rate is somewhere between one to 3%, then you're doing okay. So it seems low, but you know, if you get a hundred likes on a post and you have 400 people who are following you on Instagram, then you're doing really, really well. That's a 25% engagement rate. So I don't know how much the truth of that is. Um, But yeah, the goal ultimately is, you know, if possible, to do it full time. And that means getting enough people to listen and enough stream that there's demands builds up that I can start making physical copies that I can start going on tour. But to manage my own expectations, if that never happens, I'm grateful to every person who listens to my music. And I'm grateful to every collaborator I has who takes their time and puts the faith in the songs that I've written to do their best work and follow you know my vision. Um, and that's enough. It, it's gotta be both. Doing your best, considering it enough, and also hoping and wishing and, and working towards a goal that that you may never reach. You know, uh, it's that whole uh, shoot for the stars, and if you miss, at least you landed on the moon kind of a thing. Even though space is really big, and it's unlikely that if you shoot for the stars, you're going to hit anything. <laughs> it's, a, it's a metaphor. So.
0: It's a very, uh, <laughs> it's a damn good metaphor, though. It's a damn good metaphor. Um, so now that this album is out there free times and again folks on all streaming services check it out follow it like it listen to it in the background listen to it while you're in the
1: shower whatever um stream it over and over and over again make it make every song your wedding song if you can (laughs) but but no but please listen to it and if you like it if you like it please uh, share it with people you know tell people about any of the songs that, that you like that is what means the most because if you share it with them they'll listen. And and then if they listen and they like it, then I've got a new, a new fan who didn't even uh, hear hear about me from me personally. And that, and that is really meaningful. And that's how I can grow a base of people who, who are actually interested in my music. And that is very encouraging and meaningful to me. And and hopefully also you enjoy the music. I'm not saying follow me if you don't enjoy the music, I'm trying to reach people who I think will like it. Do you feel that
0: with this album that you've arrived as an artist?
1: I don't know. That's a good question. What do you uh that's a hard question? Uh no, I don't I don't think so. First of all, uh I'm still learning and I'm still growing. And I want to continue to do work and I don't and I don't think I've yet reached my peak. But also I don't know if I'm the kind of person who'll ever think that he's, he's reached his peak. There's something, there's something unsettling about being alive. There's something just like a certain unsettledness inside of all of us that we feel all the time. And it's crying out there. And I think that it's a good thing because it motivates us to keep going. So if I sat here and said, well, I've arrived, it's the equivalent of saying I'm done and I've done my best work. And I just don't think that that's, that that's true. Um, Maybe sometime in the future I'll be able to look back and point to the time at which I I had, uh, I had arrived looking back, but I don't think, I don't think I'm there yet. Although I'm immensely proud of all the work I did.
0: As well, you should be definitely. All right, Danny. Well, this has been a lot of fun, folks. Definitely ch- uh, check out Free Times now available. Ten tracks, amazing quality music. And uh, what's next for you, Danny? What's uh, now that this is done? What's down the road for you?
1: Well, I like I said, I, I recorded last summer a bunch of demos, and I had a bunch of my back catalog. So we've just finished recording them. We're actually going in uh, next week to do uh, the strings day for the for the strings on on the song that, that I mentioned earlier. And then it's going to get mixed and mastered. And this fall, I'm going to uh, put out some of those songs and next winter, I'm going to put out more of those songs. Meanwhile, this summer, I'm going to once again, record some demos and go into my back catalog and submit another batch of a few dozen songs to my producer. And, you know, if I submit 30 songs to him and we pick 10, maybe he actually liked 12 of them, which is a hurt to my ego, but it does also give me a two song head start on the next time. And so now I've got this cycle and that's, what's next for me is this, is this cycle of incorporating music into my life for, um, for as long as I continue to feel inspired to do so, as well as uh, putting on a show every now and again.
0: All right, all right. Well, Danny, as always, a blast talking to you, sir. Thoroughly enjoyed this one. Where do folks go, though, to learn more about you and check out the music?
1: Follow me anywhere you can. Uh, Danny Horovitz. Usually my handle is at Danny Horovitz. D-A-N-Y-H-O-R-O-V-I-T-Z. I'm assuming it'll be in the description of this uh, of this fine podcast, and you can just Google it. There's only one, really. And uh, Danny Horowitz Music on Facebook, Danny Horowitz on Instagram, Danny Horowitz on TikTok. I have a link tree with all the various things, but you'll you'll find me at Bandcamp everywhere. Just Danny Horowitz. Easy to, I'm, I'm not hiding.
0: No, you're not. All right, Danny. Definitely, definitely looking forward to what comes down the road.
1: Thank you so much, Max. Thanks for having me as always. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Hi, this is singer Kate Eppers, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout.
0: We're going to take a little break now, and when I come back, I'll be talking with Lisey for her new single, Sierra, which takes us through her battle with addiction when she was 18. Lisey talks about how it all began and the work she put in to become sober a year later. In the meantime, enjoy Scar, one of my favorite tracks from Danny's new album,
3: Picked you up the seven angels Played their hallowed horns You plucked my strings, I put you down And cursed you when you knew the chords In the dark you failed to see The light that wasn't there
0: From one of my one of my uh, favorite stomping grounds, Chicago. Love that city, love the people, love the food. Singer songwriter Lizzy joins me to talk about her new single Sierra, which was recently released. If you haven't checked it out, folks, definitely, definitely give it a listen. It's a very I would say it's a very, it's a very real song. Uh, but anyway, we'll dive right into that. I won't tell it. The artist will, Lizzy. Welcome here. It's great to talk to you.
4: Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of
0: course, of course.
4: I'm really excited. All
0: right. Well, this is definitely going to be a very intense conversation because this song is not, this is not about a breakup. This is not about, you know, the <laughs> dreams of the future. This is about a very personal battle you had with addiction when you were 18, actually shortly yes. after you arrived here in Chicago. Um, so I, I guess I'd like to start first by just talking about what that battle was like for you, kind of how it happened in the first place.
4: Um that's a great question. I well I come from uh you know, I have a background of addiction in my family. So as a young teenager, I just I started, you know, tried drinking for the first time, kind of like those high school parties, super normal, I guess, until it wasn't. Um so for me like that drinking and like experimenting with other things kind of led to my rock bottom, basically, wow, so yeah,
0: jeez, you mentioned that you come from a background of addiction is this so is this been something that your family has been dealing with as
1: well?
4: yeah, so my dad um is an alcoholic, he has been in recovery for i want to say like eight plus years now. So um, he was actually already sober once I started experimenting. And I think I sort of was just like, oh, well, that's him. That's not me. Um, And you never know, like, nobody tells you, hey, like, you're going to be an addict, by the way. So um, it definitely took a lot of self-reflection and a lot of bad days for me to get to the point where I wanted to um, seek treatment and get help.
0: And as you mentioned, you definitely hit your like rock bottom. I'm curious just what Mm -hmm. that was like for you, but also as a follow-up question, like what happened that made you say, this has to stop. I need help.
4: I mean, in the program, they talk about, um, like your life becoming unmanageable. So I was a student, I was in college. I was trying to start my new life here in Chicago. And um, I started writing music. I met my friend who's now my producer. Um, So I was starting to feel like I wanted to get my life together. And that's when I realized I couldn't stop on my own. Um, And I did try for a number of months to stop. That obviously didn't work out for me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, my life basically became unmanageable. I couldn't uh, get out of bed. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't take care of like normal day-to-day things, I guess. Because at that point, not only was my tolerance high, but also like the way I was using to like escape, it wasn't really working anymore. Wow. So it was sort of, I was just kind of numbed out. I was really flat for a while there. Wow. Um, yeah.
0: So looking, looking back on this, what is addiction like for someone at that age?
4: Yeah, it's, it was definitely strange and it was definitely like hard to realize it because like party culture is so normalized at that age, you know. It's your freshman year of college. It's normal to go out and party and check out the club scenes and stuff like that. But, um, yeah. So that definitely made it hard. Um, and there were a lot of people who I was hanging around, and they were kind of like, you know, I would express like maybe I'm taking it a little too far, and they were sort of just like you're being dramatic like everyone our age does this kind of thing so when I said that I was going to go to treatment it was kind of like oh but like you're not like an addict or anything like so that was definitely weird but I had luckily support from my family and an understanding from them that it was going to be the right choice for me so that was amazing and I'm very grateful.
0: It's so weird about the perception because, like you said, at at your age, it's just like, oh, it's, you know, we're young, we're going to party, no one mm-hmm. has a problem, just have fun. But then if you were, say, like 10 years older, it would be a much different situation probably. Um, yeah. So you mentioned that, um, that there are folks around you who were like, oh, no, you're fine, you don't have a problem. How did you kind of recognize that you did have a problem? Was there, like, someone else who kind of helped you to sort of see that?
4: It was definitely my mom. And uh, that's who I ended up dedicating the song to, because I reached out to her about just not feeling good, not being able to get sober on my own and kind of like opening up to how like drastic it was, because obviously as an addict, you're very private and you want to hide it. It's like, there's a lot of shame involved. So Once I opened up to her, she was very like on it. Like she was like, I will fly to Chicago tomorrow and we can like figure out what the plan is. So I felt confident in having her support, which was amazing.
0: Mom will always know what to do. Every single time. (laughs) Every single time. And the fact that yours was just just like there, if you just I'm on the plane, I'll see you tomorrow. We'll figure this out. So you dedicated this uh, the song to her. Mm-hmm. How uh, How so? Is it within the lyrics or the name of the song?
4: Uh, the name of the song actually came from my treatment center. So it was called Sierra Tucson and it was in Arizona. So obviously had to give the shout out to them. Um, but yes, within the lyrics, like who I'm talking to in the song is her basically. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, now I get it because 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 you talk a lot about so in the song and folks definitely will hear this as they uh, give it a listen. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about getting better to get well for you. So yes. the you is your mom. Yes. Ah. Oh, that's really good. That's really good. Yeah,
4: she always cries when she hears it.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, I I imagine so. So Yeah. Let's talk about sharing this part of your life in music. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Not something you normally hear. In fact, mm-hmm. as you said before, people usually hide this. They don't want to talk about it, they kind of keep it to themselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What was it like to share this part of yourself, especially given the stigma that people have for addicts? They don't see it as a disease. They see it as a weakness.
4: Yes. I I mean, after my time in treatment, I felt so proud of myself and just so much better that I love talking about it. and. I also like talking about it because it is so stigmatized. And I also like to talk about it because I want to be able to be a resource for other young people who might be struggling or questioning if they want or need to get sober. Um, and I have had a lot of people um, messaging me and supporting me and reaching out about um Their use or their concern for themselves or loved ones. So it's been really nice to have that support and feel good in my sobriety and like I'm helping people. So I always like to talk about it because I know that someone out there needs it. And I know that when I was in that place, I would have loved to have someone my age out there talking about it being like my messages are always open. You know what I mean? So yeah, I have no, no shame in the game. I'm, I'm proud of myself and I'm always happy to talk about it.
0: Exactly. Cause there, there needs to be an end to that stigma. The, no, the notion that addicts are yeah. weak or that they can't control themselves. It's, it's a condition. It's a condition that mm-hmm. a lot of people deal with and some folks they never get over it. I want to talk about, about the music, of the song because listening to it, there seems to be a shift from a mellow ambiance to a more like intense rock. Does that kind of reflect mm-hmm. like your own life during that time period?
4: Yes. I definitely wanted it to mirror the internal experience I was having. Um, I don't even know how to like describe it. I think the best way I can say it is that, um, the song is meant to start off sort of timid you're unsure it was just me and the piano which is where the song started out and then um it goes into just like chaos um which is something that has been crazy about getting sober is like I thought it was just going to be a quick fix like I was like all right you just stop and that's it and everything's better but um Definitely I had to deal with a lot of like repressed emotions that came flooding back in, obviously, because I used to numb those feelings. So once I didn't have that, um, I had a lot of emotions (laughs) coming in. So, yeah, that's that's where that came from in the music. How
0: would you cope with the emotions?
4: Oh my gosh. It's so hard. It's literally, so it's still hard. I still have some days where I am frozen and I can't even like, it's hard to process for sure. Um, But for me, what's been amazing is obviously the support for my family. Um, I've been seeing a therapist once a week for years. So that always helps. Um, And also going to meetings and just being around other people that understand and like share in the same experiences kind of. So I think it's all about support for me at least.
0: Exactly. It's, And I think it's also about ongoing support because being sober mm-hmm. isn't a, a switch you flick on and off. It's yeah, a part of your life you enter and then you work to stay in that. Could you talk a little bit about just the work that you've had to put in to kind of keep your life on a good track
4: um well when I was in treatment I they put you on like a day-to-day schedule from like 6 a.m till 10 p.m and when I was there I realized that I really thrive with a schedule so I kind of had to work to put that in my own life and be able to hold myself accountable which I'm still working on I mean it's hard but um boredom for me is the biggest trigger. So I try to stay as busy as possible and doing things that I love. Music is obviously one of them. I love to write, um, every day. Uh, and I don't know, getting outside at least once a day is also a good thing. Even in Chicago, when it's freezing, I like to go for like a daily walk. I'll bundle up and <laughs> take a walk around the, the block or something. So, yeah, just staying busy and making sure that um, I'm not letting myself get bored.
0: I can relate. I live on the on the East Coast right now. It's April. It should yeah. be spring. It is not
4: spring. Right? I know it's still snowing some days. I'm like, are you kidding me? It yeah.
0: is the this season is the spring of lies, the spring of deception. Yep.
4: Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. It's so horrible.
0: Yeah. You talk about staying busy, and certainly you've been very busy with also a music video for this song, which I think to me, and this is just my perspective, I could be wrong, happens a lot, but <laughs> it seems to kind of reflect the chaotic nature of the music itself. But I want to focus on one of the centerpieces of the of the video, which is a group of young folks behind you talking. Does mm-hmm. that meant to like reflect uh, the treatment program or or the uh, the support groups?
4: Um. Yes, it's pretty much all of that in one treatment, group therapy, AA meetings. Just kind of like that community. I wanted to kind of like shout it out in there somehow. So I, I got him in the background. And actually, fun fact. If you look very closely, my mom was actually an extra in the music video.
0: <laughs> I did not notice that. So that, that was but like a, a cool full
4: circle moment. Yeah.
0: Oh, I, I have to. I have to like yeah. watch it again to find it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like your own little like Easter egg.
4: Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Oh
0: man. Was she was she like nervous about about being in the video? Like I don't know about this.
4: No, she was perfect. She's so amazing. Cool. This is what I'm saying. She's just like super supportive like so when i was like hey want to come with me and be an extra in the video she was like yes let's do it i'm so down so she's great yeah. she's amazing
0: and this video also has a lot of strong visual elements too i noticed um how does it represent the story of the song
4: it definitely like you were saying it's meant to reflect kind of all the different emotions that i went through so through colors and styling, lighting, I tried to mimic um, all, all the things that we go through. So it's there's like a stark, bright day with the snow and it's cold and I'm in all black. And then it shifts to the red lighting with the sparkly dress and and then the black room with the white dress. Like it's just, yeah, meant to mimic all those emotions and then the central like storyline was basically this like white silk that keeps appearing that I'm sort of chasing and that's meant to represent like sobriety obviously and everything that comes with that and then by the end of the video I'm able to catch it and it kind of like wraps around me and it's it's this whole like moment of um like rebirth or something <laughs> so yeah
0: that's very cool did you plan the whole thing yourself
4: I worked with uh, a group they're called bluestone pictures and they were amazing and they definitely helped me um like bring my ideas to life so that was amazing to work with them mm-hmm Shout out to them.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, d- definitely, definitely. You got to work with the right company, I think, when it comes to something like this, because as I've been told by numerous artists, that the song may only be about three and a half, four minutes long, but the videos take like days, if not weeks to shoot.
4: hmm Yeah, for us, it was a three-day shoot, and we were mid-snowstorm in New York, so that was crazy. And Nothing we actually had to last minute change around one of the days because we were gonna drive up to like Nyack and shoot in front of the mountains to insane. There was no way. So we had to <laughs> totally change it around.
0: Well that's no good at all. No good at all. Yeah. 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 But it
4: was fun. It was great. Like they were they were great. Yeah.
0: Nice. Nice. So how does it feel to have these two products out there now, especially given the very, very personal take on your life?
4: I'm so excited about it. I've been excited about it. I mean, I'm two years sober right now, so I um, wrote the song two years ago. I've been waiting. (laughs) I was very excited to put it out, and I'm really happy that it's out there and happy that people are connecting to it and relating and feeling understood that's like always the goal so yeah all right what do you
0: hope people take from this
4: i'm hoping that i mean obviously for me the song's about sobriety um but i know that everyone goes through hard times and dark days and can relate to the idea of wanting to get well or get better. Um, And I hope that people can feel like they're not alone in that struggle and can see that um, it's possible to, to make it out alive from some of the darker things that we have to go through.
3: So
0: what is next for you?
4: what is next for me (laughs) um i'm putting together my live show now so hopefully um you'll be able to see me in person at a show i'm super excited about that because obviously after covid i'm like super excited to get out there and start performing um and also i've got uh, my first full-length album finished and ready to go. So that will most likely be my next release, which I'm very excited for.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. And having and having listened to your EP, your singles, and of course, Sierra, uh, mm-hmm. very much looking forward to the to the uh, the, new, the new album. Uh, what's it going to be called? Do you have a name for it yet?
4: I don't have a name. That's like, literally everything is finished except for the name that for some reason has been super challenging for me to come up with but um i will let you know when i know
0: (laughs) titles are hard titles are very hard hard. (laughs) especially because you need to sum up a product which is a which is this like massive collection of personal experiences like how do you how do you come up with like one or two or three words to encompass all those things
4: I know I have no idea I'm the wrong person to ask for sure (laughs) I don't know
2: Uh, I'm
4: hoping it will like come to me in a dream one night or something like
0: it usually does it usually does that's why like that's why like all artists they seem like sleep with like a notepad and a pen by their bed because they know if I have a dream about something I gotta write it down otherwise it's gone yep yep (laughs) All right, well, folks, uh, definitely be sure to keep it here. Go, uh, go to lezy Music L E E Z Y dot com. Check out all the work. Uh, follow her on her socials. Follow her on Spotify. All the engagement and it super helps. Share the post, like them, comment, whatever you can do. All the kind of engagement, it's all it's all a big part of getting these artists out there. And Leazy, looking forward to the next uh, conversation for the as yet unnamed album.
4: Thank you so much for having me. You're
0: very welcome. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Brian Murphy from One Time Mountain, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout with Max Bowen.
2: Rock on!
0: Okay, everyone, that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to Danny and Lizzie for joining me, and definitely check out their music. It's got an amazing sound. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check out the show wherever you find podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. To close things out, I've got Lizzie's new single, Sierra, which goes from a mellow tune to a rock-themed sound. As always, keep those ears open.